Good morning and welcome back to Coffee Books. Today we are continuing on at the top of page 57 in The Curious Barista's Guide to Coffee, which was written by Tristan Stevenson. Let's begin. Other Types of Roaster Centrifugal coffee roasters are generally only seen in large-scale applications, where their gigantic capacity and quick roasting time mean that some models can churn out up to 4,000 kilograms or 8,800 pounds an hour. As the name suggests, they comprise a huge dish that spins on a vertical axis, a bit like the teacup fairground ride. Heat is typically fired down in the center of the dish as the spinning action flings the mass of the coffee toward the curved outside edge. This centrifugal force shoots the beans up inside, up the side of the machine, then numerous small fins split them into uniform streams that direct the flow back into the center of the roaster to repeat the process. The effect is like that of a donut-shaped maelstrom of rolling coffee beans, and both the speed they move along with the rate of airflow means that a roast can be complete in only five to six minutes. Not content with loading and unloading your roaster with 500 kilograms or 1,100 pounds at a time? Well, if money is no object, perhaps a continuous coffee roaster is for you. Like the steampunk-inspired elongated drum roaster, these monsters can accept a non-stop flow of green coffee beans, which travel along the length of the drum like a journey into the fiery pits of hell, roasting as they go. As you might expect, the roast profile is controlled by a computer, which adjusts airflow, air temperature, and drum speed to tailor the end product. Tangential roasters are, upon first glance of their inner workings, quite similar to drum roasters. However, these massive enclosed boxes are a little more clever when it comes to airflow than your traditional drum. Beans are rotated on a horizontal axis and hot air is channeled downward at a tangent to the drum, allowing it to whip through the bean mass and exit out at the top of the roaster. The advantage of this kind of roasting is the clean fluidity of hot air currents, which improves the rate of heat conduction from the bean's surface to the bean's interior. Technology like this is advantageous to everyone, but especially those roasters buying lower grade beans of a non-uniform size and density, which of course tends to be those with a need for higher rate of production. Many of these large-scale roasters have fought to overcome the issue of cooling half a ton of hot, roasted coffee. Some have quenching systems, where a fine mist of water is sprayed onto the bean immediately after roasting. This doesn't actually wet the bean as such, but causes it to cool as the water draws latent heat from the bean. Studies suggest that it speeds up the outgassing too. Quenching systems are usually coupled with more traditional, and sometimes not so traditional, air cooling. Cutting edge designs feature powerful air turbines that blast air at a sufficient speed to levitate hundreds of kilograms of roasted beans in an incessant storm of supercooled air. For the remainder of this chapter, all references to roasters in general, unless otherwise specified, will relate to the drum roaster, since it is by far and away the most popular design used in specialty coffee today. What happens when coffee is roasted? Green beans don't taste of much, and they're tricky to grind down into a powder. If you get a good enough blender, 
don't risk breaking your coffee grinder, and brew them into a tea, since it really cannot be called coffee, and you'll find something thin, faintly acidic, grassy, and insipid. There, I've spared you the bother. It is roasting that unlocks all of the hidden treasures of the green bean guards within its highly organized and densely packed stores of fats, acids, and sugars. The coffee oils that will be later converted into flavorsome molecules are at this time tightly packed against the cell walls of the plant, and it is only through roasting that the true soluble character of the coffee bean can be discovered. But true is perhaps the wrong word, as there is no set-in-stone destination for a coffee bean on the journey to roasted glory. The roaster's primary goal is to cook the coffee to the required level of doneness, tailored to the specific coffee and its intended use once roasted. Lighter roasts tend to exhibit more of the coffee's natural character, good or bad, and lend themselves well to the more traditional brewing methods. Darker roasts will replace much of the coffee's natural character traits with the brown roast character that we are all so familiar with, and it's for this reason that poor quality coffee is almost exclusively dark roasted. Darker roasts find themselves at home in espresso, however, where the nature of the brewer dictates that lighter coffees become overwhelmingly acidic. The secondary goal of the roaster, which in truth is every bit as important as the primary goal, is that of carefully controlled coffee, coffee bean development. In a highly generalized sense, if the roast takes too long and or is too cool, the coffee will exhibit a weaker, slightly baked character when brewed. If roasted too quickly and or too hot, then there's a risk that the interior of the bean will be underdeveloped and the resulting coffee will tend towards spiky, sour, bitter, or smoky characteristics. There is no tertiary goal only the pursuit of deliciousness. We will cover some more roasting techniques in detail later, but first, let's take an in-depth look at what happens to the coffee bean during a typical roast. The Roasting Process All drum roasters have an optimum batch size of beans that they can handle. Overload the roaster and you may find that proceedings slow down with detrimental effect. Load too few beans in and you risk surface burns on the beans as they slide around, deprived of the tumbling action that larger numbers grant them. The roaster will aim to heat the coffee as quickly as possible in the early stages of the roast and it is for this reason that the roaster is always preheated before the beans are dropped in. As roasting rapidly warms the bean, moisture begins to migrate towards the surface of the bean and evaporate away. The rate at which this happens is dependent on temperature, bean mass, bean density, and airflow, but under normal roaster conditions, the water content of the bean will typically drop from 11% to 2% in around 5-7 to seven minutes. At the earlier stages of the roast, the bean sometimes becomes slightly paler, or more milky looking, before turning a more orange and eventually cinnamon color in the later stages. This early sector is known commonly as the drying phase. There is more to this stage than just drying, however, as important steps are also occurring in the development of sweetness, acidity, and bitterness arising from the breakdown of chlorogenic acids and sugar, which will make themselves known in the flavor of the resulting cup. This part of the roast also sees the start of another set of chemical changes, Maillard reactions. Maillard reactions are browning effects caused by interactions between amino acids and sugars. They occur at all temperatures, but 
much more rapidly when heat is applied and especially above 150 degrees Celsius or 300 degrees Fahrenheit. These reactions are brain-achingly complex in their nature, but the most important thing to understand is that they are largely responsible for the flavors that we associate with such delectable foodstuffs as browned meat, baked bread, and toasted cereals. They are also the reason for the brown color in roasted coffee. By this stage, there will be no shortage of aroma emanating from the roaster. The sentiment that the smell of roasting coffee, and even freshly roasted coffee for that matter, is to some a sacrosanct intoxicant, triggering olfactory pleasure to the point of physical debilitation, was clearly circulated by someone who had never visited a coffee roastery. During the drying phase, roasting coffee smells like stale popcorn, wet hay, and cold toast. Later on, it simply smells like overbaking a bunch of sticks. To the experienced coffee bean roaster, it is alleged that the aroma can proffer some indication of doneness, but these are not the stirring sense of aromatic transcendence that one might imagine. As the bean dries, it also expands and a fine membrane layer, which is difficult to see on a green bean, emerges and begins to peel away. This is known as the silver skin while it remains part of the bean, and once it becomes detached, it is demoted to the rather more humble sounding chaff. Chaff is harmless in terms of its ability to affect coffee quality, but it is a concern when it comes to the removal and collection from the roaster due to its potential as a fire risk should sufficient quantities of it be left to build up. We'll leave off here today on page 60 and continue again next morning to learn more about our favorite beverage, good coffee, and good books, friends.